Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're going to discuss international conflict. How can we get perpetual peace? And why Kant's peace theory is wrong or, well, not very much different than Hobbes' is. Um, in that, effectively, it would need uh, a one world government with the addition of technology. Um, now we're going to open with a clip from Hans Hopper on the errors of classical liberalism, which is also a chapter in his excellent book, Democracy, the God that Failed. Now, what are the fundamental errors of classical liberalism? I think they should have already become uh, uh, apparent by, uh, by defining precisely what the state does. So, as widespread as a standard view regarding the necessity of the institution of a state as a provider of law and order is, it stands first and foremost in clear contradiction to some elementary economic and moral laws and principles. First of, among economists and philosophers, there exist two nearly universally accepted propositions. The first one is, every monopoly is bad from the viewpoint of consumers, not from the viewpoint of producers. Every producer loves to have a monopoly. Um, I remember giving lectures to, to my students. Students always say, oh, you are working for free market institutes and so on. You must get huge amounts of money from businessmen. Um, the, the, the answer is uh, businessmen hate competition. Businessmen like competition in all areas except in the area in which they themselves operate. There they would love to have, uh, have a monopoly. So that's why I say from the point of view of a consumer, monopolies are bad. And why, why are they bad? Um, because, uh, let me just define first what I mean by monopoly in order to avoid any misunderstanding. Monopoly is here understood as, in, in the classical meaning, as an exclusive privilege granted to a single producer of a commodity or service or as the absence of free entry uh, into a particular line of production. Only one agency, agency A, may produce a given good or service X. Um, and such monopoly is obviously bad for consumers because it is shielded from potential new entrants into its line of production. And because of this, the price of the product will be higher than it otherwise would be, and the quality of the product will be lower than it otherwise would be. Now, the second proposition on which almost all economists and political philosophers agree is this. So, monopoly is allegedly bad. Um, second one is, however, the production of law and order, that is, in short, of security, security of our bodies and our property, is the primary function of the state as I have just defined it. As Hans Hopper so clearly states there in the democracy, the God the field, that, that the government is the idea, now it depends on how you define government, and that's going to be an on-running um, 
there's an ongoing problem with both Kantian peace theories as, as all, all, all philosophical or economic or analytical discourses in general. But as Hans Hoppe clearly states, is that there's a fundamental um, contradiction between government, between you know, statist government and you know, liberalism. If you properly understand liberals, liberalism, um, liberalism is an idea that, that the state is a monopolist provider of property. Yet most classical liberals state that private property that, that most classical liberals will state that pro, that monopolies are bad. And then actually some people say monop private property is itself a monopoly, which is why private property is bad. Now you probably think, well, what does this what does this have to do with Kant's peace theory, which is the title of the episode? Well, I would say Hans Hoppe answers the sort of question of how do you get perpetual peace better than than Immanuel Kant, the German continental philosopher. Um, from that time period, also famous for his categorical imperative. Now, it's not just Kant that comes up with this. I would say John Stuart Mill also plays a co-starring role in this feature production here. But I'm first going to get to Kant. And I studied this in college. This is my the capstone paper. Um, I was on this. And this is something interesting. It's part of my road to becoming a libertarian in this regard, and a sort of a sort of right libertarian. So Kant has this three-part thing, this idea that that you're going to get perpetual peace with democracy, international organizations, and mutual trade. I'm going to discuss trade at the end. I think trade is the least interesting of the three things um, and the least important for now um, for the purpose of the discussion. Uh, but we might get to trade at the end. It does come up somewhat. But the, the, three, the three parts are, of course, democracy, international organization. The, the two parts that are important, democracy and and state states, you know, in, in particularly democratic states or the ruling states today. This is also a continuation of the episode we just did a few weeks ago with Keith Preston on Hobbes. And, and I actually think Kantians are actually Hobbesians in this regard, um, that, that the state is this all overpowering entity, this third party that always rules in its favor, that must oversee everybody. Um, um, so so now would would would. Would Immanuel Kant um, think of a one-world state? Uh, I think that the logic of current classical liberal thinking, and Hans Hoppe clearly states this in his book, The Errors of Classical Liberalism, is if you accept the monopoly of the state, you're just going to have to expand this, and you're going to keep expanding this. This shows up in the minarchist-anarchist debate all the time. If you think you need to have the, the government run the uh, law and order, why don't I have the government run other things? There's just an arbitrary dispute here. It just keeps expanding. And as Keith Preston pointed out, why did he speak at a national anarchist conference? You know, why would an anarchist speak at a, a nationalist right-wing conference? Well, they have already won for Nadora's political scientist theory state. There's, uh, there's conflict between states. There's, the international system is defined by anarchy. And, of course, anarchy is bad. Anarchy is how we get conflict. You know, Austria and the United States, they're in a state of anarchy. Well, now they're probably in a state of vassalship with Austria being below the United States. And actually, that's one of the arguments you can throw at the classical liberal. Well, that's be later in the episode. But nonetheless, the two important aspects of the theory, of course, are democracy and international organizations. That international organization, of course, ultimately is the one world government. Um, um, so, like, again, if you start taking the sort of minarchist Hobbesian argument seriously, you start ending up needing to have a state that encompasses all terries, territories. And this includes, unfortunately, for better or worse, people like um, Mises. I'm going to read a quote from Mises. And I don't do this necessarily to, you know, 
crap on Mises or anything, but I think it needs to be worth brought up um, to, to explain why Jeffrey Tucker can go certain ways, although Jeffrey Tucker has somewhat come back. Um, but this is from Mises' book, Liberalism. But for the liberal, the world does not end at the borders of the state. In his eyes, whatever significant national boundaries have is only incidental and subordinate. His political thinking encompasses the whole of mankind. The starting point of his entire political philosophy is the conviction that the division of labor is international and not merely national. He realizes this for, that is not a sufficient established peace within each country. It is much more important that all nations live with peace with one another. Now, this is where I'm also going to bring in John Stuart Mill. Um, Immanuel Kant, interestingly, was probably a racial realist, just like Karl Marx, or at least a cultural realist in the sense that um, Kant said bad things about non-European Catholic or non-European Christian people or things that would today definitely be considered that or supposedly said that. Um, um, so, so in that regard, it could be the case that Kant and Mises only thought that it was for certain people to be under this sort of aegis of a one world state, or even worse, and this is where Woodrow Wilson would come in, that, that other people have to be subordinated to it. Uh, and this, this is sort of the, the dark side of this sort of the, the classical liberal view. And this, this is where we're going to bring in John Stuart Mill, who I would say is the other godfather of the sort of ruling orthodoxy here. Um, and Mill has this conf Mill has this interesting um, Mill himself is the person who arguably stole the word liberalism um, from the sort of standard view of liberalism, which meant the advocate of human freedom of something and, and things like that. Um, but I think that one interesting quote from Mill is I think that you could you could take this to the interventionists here. An individual Jesuit is to the utmost degree of abasement a slave of his order. Um, and this is from an article on Mises. Must we form abolitionist associates to emancipate the willing slaves of the society of, of, of the Jesuits? Um, so, so, and this is where we, as opposed to Richard Cobden, um, where, where, who advocates that you know strong countries shouldn't invade because it might lead to tyranny abroad. Interesting, Robert E. Lee said this in his one of his final addresses about after the uh, North's victory in there. But Richard Cobden feel that such entanglements um, would lead would undermine liberty at home, and Mill provided strong interventionists. Mill provided interventionists with what has become his favorite argument that a strong and free country, in this case like Britain, has a moral obligation to come to the aids of people struggling for their freedom if they are threatened by outside powers. That such a standing policy of intervention would most likely compromise domestic freedom was not a problem that Mill or those who have followed his lead cared to address. So as as I'm sort of hammering away here. Um, we're coming to the conclusion that that if you take liberalism seriously um, and you get you, you reject the sort of cultural aspects of it uh, or, or even the more boogeyman words, other aspects of it, that you have to have a one world government to solve peace. And Rand sort of gets into this. Mises clearly arguably staged that there. Um, but this is where I would say Hoppe, with his defense of private property, um, um, comes up with a view that is much better and actually the solution to perpetual peace. As an aside, it could be. It could be that perpetual peace is impossible. Um, but then I would argue liberalism as an idea is itself dodgy um, or false, or, or we should unmask liberals. Liberals may be able to create peace, but it's not a particularly liberal peace if liberalism is defined as freedom, air quote, or it's a kind of strange kind of freedom. Um, um, it, it leads to the sort of obvious contradiction that show up in books like 1984 and Animal Farm that Orwell describes.
Um, I would argue, and this is this is where Hoppe in this great book, Democracy, the God, the Failed, the Errors of Classical Liberalism, argues that at the end of the day, once they start going down these, once they start going down these roads, um, the uh, you you end up having to support the further expansion of the state. They lose the argument. Um, they not only lose the argument, they just they just become social democrats. And we see this with Hayek too. Uh, uh, this this is. This, this is from page 229. Contrary to the original liberal intent of safeguarding liberty and property, even minimal government has inherited the tendency to become a maximal government. Liberalism's erroneous acceptance of the institution of government as consistent with the basic liberal, liberal principles of self-ownership, original appropriation, property, and contract consequently led to its own destruction. And this is from a little never section here. Once the principle of government, judicial monopoly, and the power to tact is incorre incorrectly accepted as just, any notion of restraining government power and safeguarding individual liberty and property is illusory. Predictably, under monopolistic auspices, the price of justice and protections will continually rise, and the quality of justice and protection fall. A tax-funded protection agency, of course, is a contradiction in terms. Um, and, and eventually, the, the conclusions, if you take the theoretical argument, this is, uh, hence, in order to fulfill the liberal dictarium of a universal and eternal peace, all political centralization and unification and ultimately the establishment of single world government is justified and necessary. Um, and this is from page 231 of the Errors of Classical Liberalism. Um, so this is where, you know, you take Kant, you take Mill. Um, you take the sort of universalism that even people like um, Slavoj Zizek, and actually one of the reasons I like Slavoj Zizek, he's more honest about this, is Slavoj Zizek says that he's a sort of a European chauvinist, and he says that Marx was a European chauvinist. You know, and of course Keith Preston has a great article on attack the system, but how you know a Native American writes that Marxism is as alien to uh, uh, Marxism is as alien to me to me as Christianity. So and 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 one questions of the indigenous people, the Marxists of course treated them equally, if not more poorly, than the Jeffersonian and Jackson expansionists did. Um, 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 so 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 as we can see that you take the minarchist argument seriously, the only way to get perpetual peace is through this state um, and this one world state, uh, which is the monopolist, and this will just lead to I would argue. Tyranny is quite quite simply is unless you think that competition is bad, but then this is where Mises' whole argument about private property and competition would 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 fall apart on the grounds that if you can't have national defense or you can't have peace, you can't you can't you can't get you you, you can't get the production that you want. Now I would say Hoppe is correct. Again, it could be that peace is impossible, but because humans are just bad. But this goes back to one of a great quote you made. On the episode on the police force, but you may uh, someone else's quote, of course. You know, if, if men are so bad, if man, man in general is so bad, why would we trust them with the government? Um, that that's that's sort of the river. Why would you trust them with the Leviathan? Who watches the Leviathan? Um, so it doesn't really answer doesn't really answer the question of why the Leviathan would behave justly. It could be that the Leviathan just has power and might rakes right. But this is where the liberals are, ought to be unmasked. Um, in the Michel Foucault framework as just being powerful and self-interested. They're not advocating people's liberty. They're just advocating what they think is ought to be the way it is through, which is much more imperial policy. Um, so, so I think overall, I've defined, I've defined this. I've, I've sort of laid out like, you know, why I think, you know, it, it could call, it could create peace, but it's a kind of Carthaginian peace. It's not, it's not a peace if you sort of unmasked a lot of their, 
flowery language, so to speak. It's a more of a Carthaginian piece. It's not, it's not there. Um, and it could work theoretically, maybe. Um, so do you think my summation is correct um, so far? And, and what do you make of my other corresponding thinkers I brought up, like Mill and others? Swithin? I think your assessment is uh, broadly correct. Uh, when you were speaking, I was thinking, well, what makes the, the liberal thinker different than, say, uh, the nationalist thinker, um, who is, is, is quite interesting because in a way you could argue that the nationalist thinker actually thinks man is more sociable and uh, less prone to violence than the liberal does because the nationalist will at least recognize, well, you know, you can have our own state and, well, we can kind of cope with the other ones. We just have to keep away from them a bit, you know, keep ourselves to ourselves a bit. But, you know, we're not necessarily, I mean, Few self-described nationalists are going to think, well, what we need to do is to go to invade every. And obviously, there may be some local territorial disputes, as you know, you guys historically you got. But you know, you're not going to get. Well, you know what? We we really ought to expand to a world imperium when it comes to um, a uh, a state. So the the liberal who is a statist is were uh, oddly is more pessimistic than the the nationalist uh, or, or the conservative as you could say um which is interesting considering that um it's the the conservatives who tends to be argued to be an essentialist when it comes to uh, human nature whereas the liberal will take sort of a, the Lockean tabula rasa view um so I, I think that is an interesting uh, contrast um as well with the liberal, uh, I, with respect to John Stuart Mill, I think you're um, correct that uh, a lot of the liberals um, these days, or maybe historically, I mean, they wanted to portray themselves as, oh, we want to be free of restraints, um, but they just wanted to impose their own, uh, which I think you have a natural... Um, progression to sort of like um democratic socialism i think your point on hayek is quite interesting there it's sort of a, it's not exactly a minarchist at any point but you know approaching there and then you know veers quite closely to sort of social democracy uh and i think i think that's uh quite um accurate it would seem in a way well, I suppose this is true of the um, the liberal to some extent. He wants the the individual to do what he wants with no restraints from crucially the state or society as a whole. Because Mill is quite big on that with respect to freedom of speech, the um, imposition of um, social sanction, etc., could be more of a problem than the state itself. Um, although I suppose we get a contemporary version of that now with sort of um, big tech, etc. But that's another topic. Um, but I think what, in a sense what the liberal wants to do is to be, well, basically have a high level of UBI and to do what he wants. I, I think that's what um, the uh, mill would ultimately sort of want in a sense. Although that said, of course, Mill would want the, um, the the liberal to be against the old order, because otherwise that's not really truly liberal. 
because what 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 liberal is is just to be opposed to uh, tradition uh to be opposed to the church or any anything like that uh and so you know today i could see him sort of being an enthusiastic supporter of the science is real stay at home stay save lives etc and been actually quite a large proponent of um of lockdowns which is interesting to say all of the, the liberal inverted commas um free market think tanks almost all with the exception of the mises institute <laughs> um or, or some of the anarchist explicitly anarchist ones have all been really full bore into um the um lockdown stuff um which is well well uh something to be taken note of shall we say yeah the, the liberal if there's a status liberal yeah he, he is going to tend to um world um a world state and that's then that's the issue also um with Hobbes uh, and that's where I think um Hopper is is correct although interesting you could make the claim though that Hopper actually advocates for um well I suppose you got into in the intro the private property owner is almost a sovereign in his own area uh, which is interesting though because that's almost like a um more of a sort of conservative nationalist position uh as a solution except rather than having say i don't know 400 countries in the world you should have like 7 billion and the more countries the better um and it, and then that sort of nicely um goes over to the idea of um now this isn't to do with peace as such but the idea of competitive dictatorship that uh, david friedman mentions in contrast to uh the sort of um anarcho-syndicalist uh, libertarian socialist um libertarian socialist type uh, arguments of uh, richard wolf i think he's called i can never get his name right he's wolf but i can't remember his first name um so yeah i i think the liberals error at least when it comes to well liberals error is is manifold but you're certainly right that the, the statism that there's no real way of avoiding the internationalism uh, and you actually see that interestingly some of the self-described class of liberals will support institutions like the european union um less so the united nations but i i um although there, there could well be uh maybe i haven't come across them but they're very supportive of these international uh bodies creating order in uh around the world because otherwise you know you'd have local territories which you need to sort of larger body so i i i think your your statement is um is correct i mean you do get the interesting question though you know what constitutes state etc etc but the idea that private property and clear property boundaries uh, uh and they are assigned to a particular owner and there's no forced um uh, dispute resolution or uh, taxation i think is definitely a way that peace could be uh generated at least in principle yeah in principle it could be generated that way it, as i say it i mean you could take the sort of pessimistic view on human nature and just say conflicts inevitable no matter what system you have um but i would argue that hoppe is correct in the sense that it exasperates uh conflict the sort of kantian system and this is where rj 
Hummel, who's actually who actually believes in the Kantian peace theory himself, um, um, ends up sort of ironically he believes in the Kantian peace theory himself. You know, point out that in some ways the last two centuries, or well, not well, at this century too, last three centuries have been more deadly. Um, in, in some ways, but again, that's dependent on data. How do you calculate deaths? How do you calculate and how do you calculate battlefield deaths? How do you find other deaths too? Um, um, interestingly, speaking of uh, uh, you're talking about liberals um, being advocate, well, free market liberals being advocate of lockdown policy. It's also true that like the the American Libertarian Party under Nicholas Swarzak, interestingly had a recent um, dispute. You know, as Joe Jorgensen said in debate, you have to be actively anti-homophobic. You can't just be you know, agnostic on this. Um, and I would argue that the liberal peace theory, you brought up Sean Stuart Mill, people are free to do what they want to do under a UBI system. Well, they can't join a Jesuit order. That's one thing that they're not free to do. Um, and Mill, you know, he's a slave to his order. I'd argue that liberal peace theory can only work and really work if everyone, first of all, believes in the liberalism. And this includes social democracy and neoconservatism and other things. Um, the, the outliers, of course, are sort of Hoppe, Rothbard, libertarianism, as well as market anarchism, left market. But but even the left market anarchists like Chomsky, they, they're too much of liberals to 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 actually to me to be. They they, they buy too much into the, the cultural aspects. So so it's it, you have to be somewhat be willing to be an outsider in this regard. But if, if, if this peace theory that Kant describes can only really work if everyone believes in the same variety. Um, um, uh, 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 so and if there's some power to enforce it. And, and Mises actually complains that the League of Nations didn't work because it didn't have enough teeth. Um, so so the, the, it doesn't really answer the question. I mean, this is a benevolent dictator of the world. I mean, now that could be a king. Um, that could be a king. And Hayek himself has the argument of why the worst get on top in a democratic system. Um, so that could be wrong. I mean, I mean, why would pe people like to make these, you know, people. This is made oftentimes. Well, the problem with socialism is not that 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 it, the problem with socialism is bad actors. Stalin was a bad guy. You know, if Bukharin or Trotsky was in charge, then it would go well. Well, you know, as McIntyre points out, the thing that Trotsky is remembered for is precisely standing up to or or saying that he's wrong, and that's why he got killed by the regime in Mexico. For an ice pick, from my understanding. Um, uh, 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 so so so. You know, there's a certain extent where Hayek's arguing of why the worst get on top. You know, in a democratic state, um, which is again I have to say this before, it's the dominant state here. You know, and the states that aren't formally democratic, they all have a bunch of names like the People's Republic of Demo North, Democratic North Korea. That has like three synonyms that mean the same thing. Um, um, so, so yeah, but it has to be the same variety for there actually be peace. Um, um, and 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 so far, so far, and and just to to go after some the, the some the conservative critiques here, uh, maybe ideas or souls exist, okay? But presently, for as much as we we're basically dealing with physical and material, um, so we haven't entered the total Orwellian world where we can change our thoughts, the state can control our thoughts, which actually the name of our show, which I think is quite interesting, but we might be getting there closer. Um, you know, as long as the state, you know, as long as the, you know, this is the interesting thing that Hopper brings about monarchies, um, that this, you know, they, as long as you just left them alone, as long as you actively go against the state. And actually, interestingly, I've seen a lecture defending the People's Republic of China as being severe. I'm suspicious of that. I, I'm, I, I don't go either way on that. Um, but it is worth pointing out there is a kind of, I mean, that's where the monarchy theory comes in. Um, um, uh, and actually, the societies, the societies. 
the kind of cosmopolitan societies of 1815 and 1914 that we see in Eastern Europe and the Caucasus all existed under monarchies and were all sort of basically, um, you know, put under the, the boot of, of, you know, after the World War One, they were first put on the boot of these sort of liberal regimes, which quickly deteriorated into other fascist or communist regime. So actually the kind of, um, the kind of, the liberal societies that we like that 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 historically created this were monarchies in a way. All the social capital was built up under probably arguably monarchies like the Habsburgs, um, not the existing monarchies or the, the Tsarists, the Nikis, um, and they were actually liberalizing at the time. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I, I I do I do think that that fact is interesting. That the only really way to maintain it is they all believe in roughly the same thing, and of course the individual can't really join Jesuit. Um, Monastery or Anabaptist or, or of course, I mean to be fair to the um, or or become a homosexual either. Um, there's only actually only one way we do it. And so my what I think Hoppe does is restore. Um, and I'm gonna get into the data later. That'll be a second. I I think Hoppe does is restore the true piece of Westphalia. And the interesting part about Westphalia is that one territory believes thing X. Protestantism or Lutheranism or Anabaptism, not Anabaptism, but Calvinism, and Territory Y believes another thing. Um, and I think I think that would be a better solution. That would be a better solution um, to perpetual peace. Again, I'm going to keep restating the point. Could be perpetual peace is impossible. Um, that that could be the case. But then, ironically, I would argue that that there are any liberal conception, we have to force people to be free. And, and so I want, if if that is the case, it, I want to at least unmask liberals as sort of monsters uh, yeah, or at least violent as fundamentally violent I, that's that's part of my that's part of why I like the book democracy the god that failed um, and if we could unmask who's running the show we can hold them in the mosque term accountable um, you know we don't all rule ourselves you know I didn't I didn't have any say in the lockdown policy um, I, I vote to the extent I voted I voted for parties that were contrary to it, although some parties I voted contrary to it actually favored it anyway. Um, so, so even there, voting is such a loose control mechanism that makes no sense in democracy. Um, um, so, so I would argue Hoppe restores the localist piece of Westphalia system. Um, and again, you can keep going further. You can keep going further and further. You have more and more and more. Yeah. Now, again, this brings up other problems that, that, that go, go to it. Um, but I would say, even, even if you want to take this sort of idea that ideas or souls exist and you have a universal thing, well, then, is it, then you should do it somewhat voluntarily. So to a certain extent, my theory is still positioned in liberalism, but it's only positioned in a very narrow strand. And same with Hoppe. The other one are much more thicker. That's the thick, thin dispute, much more thicker. So, so you know, if you don't all agree about things, um, then what do you exactly do? And this is actually interesting where we get into like, and Savoy Zidak is sort of par excellence on this because he's willing to go into politically incorrect territories. And you look at the countries that, you know, you know, for all the talk of homophobia, look at the countries that actually where it's illegal. Uh, I won't list them, but they have a lot of them have sort of interesting scenarios. So, so we have sort of the intersection of this. And would John Stuart Mill go after them? You know, I, maybe Nicholas Swarzyk. Um, that, but that's a two-button meme problem. So I think there's problems with liberalism, par vis-a-vis liberalism. Uh, you know, what extent are the limits of it? Um, and I think the book Errors of Classical Liberalism pretty clearly, uh, uh, the, the chapter on that is pretty clearly it goes after that, and, and, and some additionary sources. Um, 
So th those are my overall thoughts on the sort of theory. Um, Swithin, do you want to add any more comments on sort of the general theory? I'm going to get to the data in a few minutes and why the data that the Kantian peace theorists say for why we have peace is wrong or incomplete. Swithin? Oh, just a, a quick comment on uh, the, the liberal. What, what does the liberal go after uh, the countries that you haven't named, uh, Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera? Well, no, because it, it, the liberal has a bizarre disposition um, in that um, they 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 want to involve themselves in liberation abroad um, and, and supporting these sort of revolutionary fact, factions, even though it will make things worse at home. Yet at the same time, has the highest possible standards of their own standards for their own people and then effectively treat uh, any countries that are not of their own sort of race or culture or ethnic group as massively inferior such that they need uh, enlightening by the liberal. Um, I, I think that is a, an, an interesting quirk of their uh, sort of personality type and, and explains much of why they um, are so pure, as it were, in a sense, puritanical uh, in the uh, in the West, but then are very silent about what happens in some sort of, sort of the non-West, as it were. Uh, so yeah, that was just a quick comment on that. So g give us the uh, give us the give us the data on why Kant is wrong. So the Kantian peace theorists will oftentimes cite you know two piece two long pieces. Now Nassim Taleb has a good critique against this. Well, they forget the world wars which is a good kind, I mean, there, there are huge consequential events um, that cause a lot of deaths. And there's also other wars that they tend to forget as well. So they'll say, well, since 1940 to now, 1945 to, be, to now, we have peace. You know, Germany, United States, France, Japan, they've all been at peace. Now, the quickest way to dispose of this argument, uh, in the same way with the 1815 to 1914 period, you know, Germany, well, there's there some smaller wars that occurred there. And of course, the U.S. Civil War, um, and there's a lot of smaller contexts after you know the 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 the, uh, the Congress of Vienna that period. They argue that is we just need to expand that and make that stronger, which is what which is what what we need to have an international organization. The quick way to dispose of this, which actually initially Marxists are very aware of, uh, uh, and actually Russia is very aware of this. Um, and there's actually one of the, you know I, Rus Russian political scientists, Russian conservatives are very aware of this. Chinese nationalists are very aware of. Is that you replace the word liberal with the word U.S. empire and see if the sentence still makes sense. So anytime you see the word United Nations or you, anytime you see the word um, liberal international order, just replace that with U.S. empire. And same way with the 1815 to 1913 period. Replace that with British empire. Um, uh, it basically, to me, in much, it does much of the work. So again, this is not a liberal peace theory. This is a Carthaginian peace theory more so. Uh, 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 it, it, you know, we don't we don't have a global currency. We have a, the U.S. dollar, which is an American dollar. Uh, we don't have a global police force or a global democracy. We have the United States, which is disproportionate power and in institutions. And again, the Marxists are very quick to pick on this in a certain way. Uh, 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 so they're very attuned to that. So what we have is the United States has sort of, to a certain extent, and formerly Britain, Britain paved the way for it. Another thought experiment you could run is you could run, there's a few historical events, 1870, 1916, the summer offenses, you know, a few elections in the United States. You could run the defense, you can imagine an alternate world, a man in a high castle does this, where Germans are in charge. Now, maybe it's not the worst version of them, uh, 
uh, maybe it's a, a moderate version. But you can still imagine a Prussian. You can imagine that you know a Prussian, uh, a Prussian global empire of German. You know, they get, all the English people have to learn German. If they had occupied states like Britain and France, would you think Britain and France would go to war if they were both occupied by the Germans? No, of course not. That'd be silly. So a lot of the data that the political scientists have to say, well, France and the United States haven't gone to war since 1945. Well, of course. If up until the 60s, we had nuclear weapons in France, and we still have, we still do, we still have sold. Not France might be an exception, but we have military presence in various countries. This would be like saying that, you know, Rome, that Carthage didn't go to war after the Third Punic War. Of course, they didn't go to war after the Third Punic War. Um, you know, it, it's also true that Estonia and Poland and East Germany didn't invade Moscow between 1945 and 1989. Why? I wonder why. Well, maybe it's because the USSR had soldiers. The Russian nationalists had Russian uh, First Federation had soldiers stationed in Poland and USSR. That 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 explains a lot of the air quote data and all the permutations and linear regressions they grew on. And of course, you can run with the classic counterexamples: Sweden, a country that was clearly a democracy by 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 the at time standards, in some ways was slightly ahead of. Um, well, Finland, to be precise, Sweden and Sweden, not Sweden, Sweden and Finland, two countries, they probably sided with the autocracy, the, the, the National Socialist regime in the Second World War. Um, um, and, you know, whether they did that because they, they, they believed in it or, or, or pragmatic reasons, it is worth pointing out that, you know, you have like the Winter War and those wars um, uh, were, you know, the, the aiding them. And they were clearly demo, democratic. They were no different than, you know, Britain at the time or United States at the time. Um, and again, one of the general problems with the data is just classification of countries. Uh, you know, just because you happen to have an election, does that make you a democracy? So when you say that democracies don't go to war with each other, you know, what exactly defines democracy? Almost all countries today, including China, have some kind of elections, but are they meaningful? And even in the countries that actually have elections that the political science say are open, the all sorts of internal actors say it's not open. So both the mega, mega, make America great again people and the far left both believe that Georgia's elections contested. They, the, the far left believes it because of voter suppression by Republicans. The, the make, make America great again people view George Soros bought off the, um, and WikiLeaks might have documents supporting this, bought off the voting machines. So both of them would argue that Georgia itself is not a democracy. So if we're running permutations, you know, is the United States a democracy? Is the United States any more of a democracy than Kazakhstan or Russia? Uh, that becomes unclear, um, you know, what exactly maintains this. So, so if you can't, so they have all these permutations of two countries not going to war, forgetting all those facts. Let's just say it is sound. It's not a Carthaginian peace uh, treaty in that sense. Um, let's say that it is actually true. Um, you could just say, well, the definition, there's a definition problem. How do you define uh, the country. And of course, you have to have to define conflict. As people like Nassim Taleb point out, World War II is a lot more consequential than the U.S. invasion of Grenada. Um, um, it's a lot more consequential than the U.S. invasion of Kuwait, except for Kuwaitians. It's very consequential for Kuwaitians. But, you know, uh, for World War One, for Britain, that's a hugely kind of consequential conflict for Britain. Um, you know, hugely. It probably makes all wars of the past 70 and afterwards dwarf the next 20, dwarf in comparison to the significance and cost, human lives, and political consequences. So those are the general problems with the data um, here. And I think it's just useless running of maths to show a, a trend line. And you can also throw the reverse trend line that autocracies don't go to war with each other either.
Um, so, Swithin, what do you make of my criticisms of the Kantian peace data, the idea that democracies don't go to war with each other? Swithin? I, I think it's uh, largely correct. Um, obviously, there's a problem of uh, the problem with democracy more than almost any other sort of form of governance is that um, it, it, it basically just democracy just means, well, a country I approve of. Oh, and look, the countries I approve of don't go to war. Well, yeah, because that may be why you approve of them. So it's not um, it's not straightforward uh, at all with that. I think your point about conflict is interesting because when you were talking about that, you know, they don't go to war. Let's even suppose they didn't. Let's suppose they didn't. The question arises, though, um, to what extent are the states sort of internally oppressive? Um, by which I mean. Um, are do these are these democratic states assuming they're democratic to to whatever uh, definition you, you you prefer with that um are these um states in uh, a, a sort of a state of war with their own population you know i, I think even if it's true that um they may have less external conflict the question arises to what extent do they facilitate sort of internal conflict? Uh, and this is, um, and I, supp I suppose this is sort of like the Hoppian uh, view of democracy to some extent, um, that um, you have caretakers and they're not interested in the capital stock value of the country as a whole. And, you know, they'll, they'll run it in such a way to um, maximize their own short term gain. Um, and so, you know, you, you're going to expect relatively more taxation, more regulation, etc. Uh, and so this is not going to be a good thing. And then also as well, I mean, the internationalism, and this is the point you made earlier, um, is a lot of the time the policies in different countries are coordinated. So you can't leave anymore. It's like, oh, we're not going to war anywhere. It's just that. Basically, every country in the entire world will have the same policy and everything, so you can't avoid it. Uh, this is uh, interesting, uh, relatively new recent news story. Janet Yellen was wanting to support a, a global minimum corporation tax. Now I know we can make arguments as to whether corporations actually exist, whether they should be taxed, or whether they're a legal privilege of the state, a legal creation of the state, but I'll leave that as a side. Um, what they want to do is have this greater level of international coordination so that um, you can't, the state can't get away, or individual state can't get away with having zero corporation tax or a significantly lower one than anybody else. Because what they're attempting to do is, as it were, to coordinate, um, well, I suppose if you take sort of, hmm, who's the best theorist to reference here? Uh, I'm thinking Machiavelli, but that might not be accurate. They're just advancing their own interests. They're just advancing them in a more, less obvious fashion now. Whereas previously it might have been in your interest to go and plunder your your neighbour. Now it's in your interest to coordinate your action with him to um, to then exploit your domestic populace. You know, is is that really any better? Well, less people die, I suppose. But then you get into the whole sort of uh, war versus slavery argument. Is it better to go in war and 
and die free, or is it rather better to be a slave? So, I mean, so all my point here is that even if the uh, Kantian view of um, plenty of PC was true, um, it doesn't prove enough uh, because I, I, I think it would have a, a too much of a narrow um, concept of uh, what constitutes conflict. The final, the final leg of it, which would be the final part of our discussion, is trade. Uh, this is probably the shortest one. Um, just because of the relationship with the economics here. Uh, to some extent, it's already subsumed here. I've already somewhat discussed economics areas. Um, you can write a free tra- You don't need a 1,500-page document to have a free trade treaty. Um, you, you, just, you, you need to have about two sentences, you know, maybe even one. Maybe in a paragraph, if you're being generous, you could have a free trade trade treaty. So things like NAFTA and EU, which were supposedly free trade, are not about free trade. Um, they're about this is where your point about advocating protectionists um, narrowly is is and just doing it for other reasons um, is spot on. I mean that this is more about Greece uh, taking advantage of German taxpayers or Germans taking advantage of their central bank privileges um, to take. Uh, to, to to go after others um, and and vice versa and same way with the United States uh, it's more about like you know Vermont receiving air bases for F-35s um, supported by Bernie Sanders uh, you know paid for by other taxpayers and vice versa things go both ways you know you get this, you know, who exactly exploits whom here uh, it's, a, it's a it's a sort of a, a complicated matrix of 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 transactions here. Um, and this also brings up the protectionist uh, claim here, which is the, yeah, this is this is one of the tricky parts, which separates the sort of you know, the Pat Buchanan types and the other sort of national conservatives and the mercantilists. And they say, well, we need to have uh, protection. We don't want to deal with, uh, uh, you know, if, if now my libertarian liberal economics answer is, which actually is quite actually strange. It comes it's going to come to a strange conclusion. If let's say Malaysians are are they're exploiting their workers and they're paying them on the cheap and sending T-shirts to the United States or Britain for Western consumers to buy them on the cheap, I, the, the sort of Jeffrey Tucker liberal libertarian economist answer is let them exploit them. Um, this is actually an interesting conclusion that comes to if you if you view them as they're underpricing their goods based on what their actual costs are, they're actually impoverishing themselves. Um, this also shows up in the immigration debate, you know, the brain drain argument. Um, which actually one of the reasons why the Soviet Union, one of the formal reasons why this, if, if you pushed them would argue why they defended their wall. Well, we 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 provided you with your education. Now you need to provide us the state with um, the, the 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 gains to that education in that regard, viewing you almost like a serf. Um, um, so this is where Papa's private slave argument comes in in play. Here as well, um, but the, the the trade argument to me is interesting because of course you could write a one sentence paragraph to describe trade. You don't need you don't need some fifteen hundred and, and and all those those fifteen thousands. Some of these treaties are even longer. You can write a ton of 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 rules in there to favor. Who are you going to favor? You're going to favor the megacorps. Uh, you're going to favor the special interests. Um, and 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 again, there's no you're, this is not going to go away if you get better leadership. Um, and is, or, or some dynamic leadership. It's only going to go away if you sort of reset the the thing and just abolish abolish it. You know, that, that's that's the only solution. So so maybe free trade is impossible because of piracy and you need a navy. But then again, that's just an externalized cost um, um, that that the Kantians do not take account of. 
Um, you know, the, and, and so like if trade is only possible, and Peter Zeeland holds this view, um, you know, the long supply chains are only possible because, well, then so what? You know, well, you know, Britain, Britain seemed to be fine. Britain, Europe and the United States could create a, tr a free trade zone of, of, of city states. What? You know, they, they don't they can have a, a navy to protect them from outsiders. That could work. Um, you know, there, there's solutions you could have, you know, the, the thousands of Liechtenstein solutions. Um, so, yeah, you know, free trade could work. I think free trade is important. And actually, I think free trade undersells in this in this sort of tripart area. And actually, that's one of the reasons why people like the, the liberals, the liberal economists tend to support them. But they're mistaken because of the ways in which um, they get, uh, what's the word, uh, dis, uh, uh, you know, skewed, so to speak. Swithin, do you have any comments here on trade? Well, I, I would take this sort of Cobdenite view that, you know, um, more trade with different nations is going to um, reduce the probability of conflict between them because you have an economic interest in this in in the survival and flourishing of uh, the other nation. I think that is in, entirely true. Um, but the this is dependent on it being in both of their interests uh, and ultimately being as were voluntary not want to go down to the rabbit hole of what constitutes voluntary um so that would be um uh relevant and and, and you and, and you're exactly right you know if it happens to be the case though that absence sort of pax americana or a, or a, a world state to, to defend trade routes that the trade routes don't exist well okay well if it's piracy then Okay, that's not great, but if it's just because it's too expensive, well, so what? Um, I mean, it's 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 nice, but there's there's no necessity that we have to have more external trade. I mean, it just seems somewhat odd to sort of fetishize uh, that. Now, I suppose you can make a utilitarian argument, um, but it does seem to be the case that a lot of international trade is heavily subsidized. Sean Gabb will point out, say, that uh, insurance contracts for international shipping firms are underwritten by the state because insurance companies wouldn't be able to provide insurance at uh, prices that shipping companies would accept. But that's at least his argument. And if it's true, which I have no reason to doubt that it is, uh, that obviously means you're going to have more trade than you otherwise would have. Now, on to the sort of underselling of the... Um, the third world and you get the brain drain i think brain drain is slightly different but if it's the case that it seems like we're basically exploiting those countries because they're sort of un they're selling at too cheaper prices because um internal policies by the state there means that this is the result in whatever fashion that might take place or an easy thing is, is um the taxpayer heavily subsidizes the production there well i mean <laughs> You then get to the question is, well, what can you do about it? I mean, do you go engage in some sort of elaborate sanctions method or we won't trade with them, etc. Because, uh, oh, no, it's, it's immoral there. You know, they've been exploited, etc. Which is likely to result in a reduction of their standard of living in the short run. And with no guarantee that any alteration would change uh, internally from the domestic regime. Um, so... 
so again it, it it's it's how big a scope you're going to take i mean if if they want to sell stuff and it's sort of bad for them well i'll buy it you know if they want to sell it um it's is not my problem i mean and i and, and even if and even if it was there's not really very much i could do about it and, and, and trying to sort of boycott them would kind of make it worse you know in in the same way is it a good idea to now it depends on certain circumstances in this but would it be a very good idea if you just refused to buy any slave produced sugar for example well that'd be a way of ending slavery potentially but on the other hand it could might mean that they starve become less valuable to their owners and therefore, you know, uh, get beaten or just got rid of. So when it comes to the, um, the, the the third world and how well off they will be via trade or whatever, um, it, it's it's not obvious that uh, not trading with them or making it hard, um, then it's that that's going to actually make anything better. And. Um, and yes, and as you're, you're right, with respect to the EU and NAFTA, I mean, they are clearly not free trade uh, agreements in any way, shape or form. Uh, to a large extent, they're just regulatory alignment um, uh, uh, treaties. The EU is quite clear on this. The EU, when it came to the um, post-Brexit trade deal with the UK, basically was saying, we'll only give you free trade if you basically impose the same internal policies that we do. Otherwise, that's unfair competition and we'll put tariffs on you. And this is the logic of these sorts of organizations. Um, this is the basically the logic is the only fair trade system is where everything is the same, at which point we'll have no tariffs and we'll no, no quotas or anything like that. Um, so they have zero interest at all in actual sort of like just reducing uh, restrictions on trade. It, it's, it's all about managed trade. And even though it looks like it's free between countries, what they're attempting to manage is uh, the internal processes and trade system of another country. Um, again, I think sort of a product of some sort of like a, a liberal mind in this context. Great. I, I entirely agree with those comments. The only reason I brought up that the argument regarding the, the third world production is uh, oftentimes you get this debate with um, uh, this showed up in the Trump administration's campaign about, you know, China's ripping us off in some regards. And a lot of like the sort of liberal libertarian would say, well, even if they're ripping off, off that's a good thing uh, because they're just selling for they're selling on the cheap. Um, um, now, th this to me reminds me of slavery, you know, if they're really exploiting their workers. I, I just say this in the regard to defend sort of conservative protectionists in this regard. That That's the reason why I said that as it as as just, again, to paint them as illiberal. Uh, which I think is is to a certain extent one of my goals. And then again, that's that's the title of his book, Hans Hoppe, the areas of classical liberalism. Um, and I I'd say there's two or three main errors, and it's one is the contradiction of having a property exploiting property detector, exploiting property detector. Like that's that's a very kind of mouthful, but it's 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 it is a contradiction in terms. The second problem course is that millions of definition problems and then the third problem is the data ends up just looking like Pax Americana or Pax Britannia uh, which doesn't really that, that that that's always been true that's nothing new you know the global hegemon keeps all its vassals of some degree in order who, who would have thought that and actually in democracy itself at times is an eternal civil war uh, uh, in the sense that 
you know, elections bubble over into civil wars. And actually, the, the left's favorite boogeyman itself was elected by a semi-democratically society. And of course, you get illiberal democracies. Well, you know, to a certain extent, Egypt and Iran have this air quote problem. I don't necessarily view it as a problem. It might be a problem for the minorities there, uh, interestingly. Um, but if you had an election in Egypt, you know, I think the Muslim Brotherhood won. Which is an interesting fact. Um, um, and that's where people say, well, they're going through the 30 years war, the 100 years war. And maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. Um, uh, so I think those those are my general comments. So, so within, uh, thanks for doing this episode. It's a very much interest to me. Any final comments or anything you want to wrap it up? That'd be excellent. All I would reiterate is two things. One, when it comes to conflict, just looking at external conflict as it were is 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 simply not enough uh with this and also the point that actually the that i think is the most interesting is that the liberal this liberal statist actually has a more negative view of people uh than does the conservative the conservative thinks you can basically have different countries and you know they might have some disputes but they, they fundamentally aren't going to be uh, and a Hobbesian war against all, at least not in certain uh, thinkers, at least. Whereas the liberal would see this as a necessary conflict, uh, a necessary result of it, and therefore require um, uh, a one-world state. And I think that difference is interesting. Uh, just now, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this, please uh, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe to us on uh, YouTube and Podbean. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the rankings and the more people can uh, enjoy this content. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at uh, mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com.